Hello and welcome back to one-on-one New York's longest running sports call-in show along with Samantha Bohr. I'm Colin Lochran and we are pleased to be joined by Bryant McBride, CEO of Burst and co-chairman of the Carnegie Initiative. Bryant, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm great because I'm with you guys. Uh, you know, it's just a fun, fun time of year. Hockey playoffs are around the corner and uh, we're, we're excited to uh, excited to watch and, uh, you know, continue to grow the game. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining us. I just want to jump in right away with the Carnegie Initiative, especially as it is concerned with the sport of hockey, which both Sam and I hold near and dear to our hearts. Could you speak a bit more about the initiative and what it hopes to accomplish in the long run? Absolutely. I think I have to start with the name. It's named after people hear Carnegie and what they hear is, um, you know, they think Andrew Carnegie, right? But um, it's really an echo to a lot of stories of marginalized people uh, who haven't been put front and center. And this Carnegie is this initiative, the Carnegie Initiative, is named after Herb Carnegie. Herb Carnegie was was likely, I mean, he, he was the greatest black player never to play in the National Hockey League. He was a star in the 1930s and 40s. He was one of the best five players on earth. I was told by Jean Beliveau who was a rookie when he was an older player on the Quebec Aces. And he taught Jean Beliveau and all those great Montreal teams how to be professionals. Right. And, and he, he did get, he did get a chance to try out for the Rangers and the Maple Leafs. And, and, you know, this is hard stuff, but, you know, he was told by then Con Smythe, and we all know that name, right. Who did some amazing things for the game, but he also told Herb Carnegie that he would pay anyone $10,000 to paint him white. Herb never played a game in the National Hockey League as a result of that, right? So it's named the Carnegie Initiative because of what Herb did after. He was the MVP of the Quebec League um, for three straight years until you know he realized he wasn't going to get to play in the National Hockey League, and he went off and became a very successful businessman. But in 1955, December, 1955, literally, and we researched it, the same week that Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat in Montgomery, Alabama, Herb Carnegie created the first hockey school in Canada and brought together white, black, and indigenous kids to play the game. And then he did that work for the next 60 years. That's his legacy. And that's why it's named the Carnegie Initiative. We hope to carry that torch forward and onward so that everybody gets a chance to play. Wow. That's incredible. And then you were also one of the creators of what is now the Hockey is for Everyone campaign, as we know, back in uh, the 1990s. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to see that campaign still continuing on today in the league and where you even hope to see that grow as a result of this new initiative slash where you just hope to see the league take Hockey is for Everyone in the future? Yeah, it's it's really a uh, testament to all of the people who um, who are doing this work now. It's become um, it's become the norm, right? I was the exception when when Willie O'Ree and I and, and, a, and a small dedicated team, Nervum Lord, David Levy, when we started these initiatives in the early '90s at the National Hockey League, there was no DEI, there was no department. We just knew it was the right thing to do, and we did it, right? And we kept we haven't stopped for 30 years. We're not going to stop, right? This game is so important for children to play. And people say, well, you know, why, why are you, you know, you're not welcome there. Why, why do you keep pushing on this that, you know, well, it's real simple, right? I'm a dad. Hockey's a great equalizer. No one's born with skates on, right? So when you get out there and you're three, four, five, seven, ten 10 years old, 
The first thing you do is you fall on your butt. And the first thing you learn is to get back up, right? And that is a muscle that extends to STEM and to every part of life. So if I could only, as a dad, if I could only give my kids one thing, it's resilience. Get back up. I've never seen an activity or a sport that does that better than hockey. That's why this is so important. And that's why I tell all of my friends, white, black, otherwise, this is the most important sport for kids to play. That's the fuel. That's why we do it. And that's why we won't stop doing it ever. Certainly important work and certainly something that in the sport of hockey needs to be done in my estimation. I'm wondering from a practical point of view, what specific steps, if any, need to be taken to diversify the sport as a whole? Absolutely. You know, there's, there's no exclusivity on this work. People are going at it in lots of different ways. Um, the, the work that Kim Davis and her team at the NHL are putting forth, fantastic, right? They're, they're started street hockey initiatives. Um, the work that Anthony Stewart does in Toronto, the, the work that, um, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Mo Hashem in Toronto is doing, ice hockey in Harlem, you know, longtime standard bearer. I mean, you could just, there's, there's hundreds of these programs now. There were very few when we started, but there's hundreds of them. So there's lots of different flavors and there's lots of different ways. What really hit me a few years ago is what these efforts really needed was scale. So we made a movie, Movies Travel, Right. Speaking of travel, my friend Willie O'Ree, uh, you know, all the work that he did in his Hall of Fame bid, we did the research for it. And we saw that in his 20, at the time, his 24 years of working for the National Hockey League, he had traveled cumulatively more than six years on a plane between the age of 61 and 84. That's a lot of wear and tear. And that's really hard. Movies travel better than that <laughs> and they scale better than that. So we made the film Willie and we think that that scale is the next step. See it, be it, right? Images of women and, and young men and of color playing the game, indigenous kids, Asian kids playing the game and that normalizing that, right? So that when you walk into a rink, if you're a young Muslim woman in a hijab, you don't feel out of place. That's what we're after. So this work comes in many, many variations, many sizes, many shapes. The key is to do it and to continue to do it. And now our, our because we've been doing it for so long, it's beyond street hockey. It's beyond selling tape. It's scale. That's what we're after. Yeah, absolutely. I believe in an interview with NHL.com, you said that when you were making the movie about Willie O'Ree, that you set out to make a social justice film disguised as a hockey movie. Can you talk maybe a little bit about that and how you think that has fared in the long run? Because as we know, Willie O'Ree just having his number retired, which was an incredible accomplishment, receiving the medal. He's phenomenal and such a remarkable player, especially as we look at uh, the black players and the players of color in the league. Can you talk a little bit about the process of that film and how that helped in terms of scale and what you're hoping to see? Absolutely. Um, you know, this been doing this work for a long time, right? Um, I'm, I'm um, the first person to graduate from college in my family, not lost on me, right? My mom struggled, fought, clawed to get me there. And I have a responsibility. I don't take that lightly. Hockey just happens to be the vertical. I just happened to be a hockey player from Canada who grew up, you know, knowing how to play. So this was an area where that I could impact. And I, and I, you know, that call to action goes out to every person, not just people of color to make a difference, to change. You know, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, 
but and I'm going to get a little meta here, right? Not not the internet company, but <laughs> broader um, is America's got cancer from the beginning. Land of the free, home of the brave, pursuit of happiness, equal justice for all. Oh yeah, three fifths of person in slavery. We've had this existential angst from the beginning that we've never been brave enough to solve, to face it, to admit it, to like Rwanda, like um, Canada, like South Africa, like Germany, which we made do it, to have truth and reconciliation, to face down you know, the, 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 the rawness of that open wound that, is, that has been part of our country from the outset. And it's, better, and it's easier not to talk about it. That's lazy and it's not gonna cure what we have. It's not gonna optimize us, right? We had people running around in the seat of power in last January 6th with Confederate flags. You hold a swastika in public in Germany, it's three years in jail. We have to reckon with where we are and who we are and, and, and the things that we've not addressed. We have to deal with them. Hockey's just a little vertical where I hope I can make a little bit of a difference. In dealing with that past and the different cultural norms that come with that as it does pertain to hockey, I immediately think of Willie O'Ree, especially as a Boston Bruins fan myself. I'm wondering how important is it for us to remember his legacy as the player to break the color barrier in the city he was able to do it in? I think it's incredibly important, right? I mean, Willie, Willie's story is one of just finding a way, figuring it out right? No matter what. That's why he's so inspirational. That's why, you know, so many people see themselves, right? That's, you know, in making the movie and, and thinking about scale, you know, we, the first things I, I wrote down, I looked back on it years ago, you know, we made the movie now three years ago. So I looked back on it in, in terms of it being a social justice film that, that, you know, that hadn't really, that, that hadn't really hit stride, um, until we got into it. And I really started, we started to do the research on, on Willie's family, his great, great, great grandfather being a slave. Wow, right? And, and escaping, we found, we went and we found the roots of, of Paris O'Ree. And so telling that story, you kind of just went, oh my goodness, right? Like it was, wasn't, it was just also recent, right? Jim Crow and all, all the stuff that he went, Willie went through all of that. He lived it, right? He had to ride, he tells the story in the film of having to ride the bus, you know, he went to a baseball tryout in Waycross, Georgia, and he had to sit at the back of the bus. And, and the further, and when he got cut and he was on his way home, he got to move up in the bus. When he crossed the Canadian border, he was sitting in the front of the bus, but he had to live that and experience it. And he had to experience and live some of those things in Boston, right? He, he just had to. And Boston wasn't, isn't, you know, as Colin, as you know, is not, you know, it hasn't been, it had a reputation for being, you know, a friendly place in that regard. But he, he, you know, Willie makes sure to point out that Johnny Busick and Milt Schmidt and Lynn Patrick and all of his support system, his, his teammates, Jerry Topazini and all these great names from the Bruins past, they were incredible to him, he said. They were incredibly supportive and very helpful. And they just helped him focus on one thing. And that was playing the best that he could play and being a hockey player. Right. And it was hard. It was a 16 NHL. There weren't many jobs. So hence when people say, oh, he only played 45 games. Well, that was in the 16 NHL and people forget. And for those of you that don't know, I don't want to give away a spoiler here. So turn off for a second. Well, he had one eye. He lost his eye when he was 18 years old and he hit it for 22 years of playing pro hockey, an incredible accomplishment. Wow. 
I mean, he is just incredible. Absolutely. Everything you've done also to highlight that story is phenomenal. Um, part of your initiative now is to highlight and celebrate black excellence and black joy. Can you just speak a little bit about what you think that looks like in the game of hockey or what you would love to see in the game of hockey in highlighting that, especially as we have younger players or for the kids who are growing up watching the Subans of the world on TV, what does highlighting black excellence and black joy in hockey look like to you? Yeah, that, that campaign, which we kicked off at Woolman Rink um, about three weeks ago, that came in response to, you know, a five-day period, which I, I always remember in hockey. And that five-day period, you mentioned it earlier, it, it started with Willie's jersey going to the rafters in the Boston Garden. You know, I, I cried. I was there and I cried because that was started on my desk as an idea, right? And um, so that was moving. The next day, Congress, 426 to zero, gave Willie the Congressional Gold Medal, right? That's incredible. The heights to which he has climbed, rightfully so. And, and by the way, one footnote on that, Willie, it's the highest civilian honor given by the United States government. He also won the Order of Canada. He's, and that's the highest civilian honor given by the government of Canada. He's the only human being ever to win both, hmm. which is astounding, right? I mean, those are, those are heights to climb. Fast forward three days and Boko Imama gets racially harassed in a game. One more day, Jordan Subban gets racially harassed in a game. So that five-day microcosm of the progress and the, the peaks and the valleys, of, of that's not just indicative of hockey, but of where we are, right? In 250 years in this country, you could own people. Crazy. 100 years you know, yeah, you could, people were free, but then it would be legislated against and Jim Crow and all of the, you know, those, you know, there's a hundred different forms of cancer. There's a hundred different forms of racism, right? And they were deployed and they're still being deployed against a lot of people. And the last 60 years have been progress. So those six, five days, truncated days were just an, a, an embodiment of the ebbs and flows of America. So what we said was, how do you respond to black hate? with black joy and black excellence, that's how. So we invited Boko and Jordan to Central Park and Willie and myself and, and Anson Carter as the host and Kelly Babcock from the, from the Metropolitan Riveters, um, you know, representation. And we, we said, let's showcase the five best plays in black hockey history. You know, Anson Carter's world championship goal for Canada in 2003, um, Grant Fuhrer's saves in game one in, you know, to beat the Islanders when he was an oiler, right? Um, and you know, Angela James goals and Devontae Smith-Pelly's tying goal in the stand. You know, there's there, we had a ton to choose from. We hadn't really thought about it. And there's like, wow, there's a lot. So we, so we put those together. And then we said to people, contribute your own, contribute your messages, contribute your trick plays, contribute for kids, see it, be it, right? So that's really was, we, those are the tactical steps. And then Willie and Boko and Jordan and others are going to pick the winner and the winner uh, of that submission of those submissions is going to fly to New York and, and have a weekend of uh, hanging with those guys and going to games and doing some pretty special things. Such amazing work for sure. Still a lot of progress to be made, as I think we all know. We know you're a busy man, Bryant, so we're going to let you go. But thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you guys for, for shining a light on, uh, on these topics. It really does mean a lot and, uh, you know, love to see you at the rink sometime. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Stay tuned to one-on-one -on -one, New York's longest running sports call-in show.